The mission is simple, to help high achievers naturally eliminate emotional and physical obstacles so they can optimize their life for higher achievement. Welcome. You have just entered the Genesis Zone. Good day and welcome to the Genesis Zone show. This is Dr. Brian Brown. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. I know there are a million other things you could be doing, a million other places you could be, and you chose to be here right now. Thank you. Um, spring Springtime blues are actually a thing. Um, and if springtime blues have got you down, there's a few things that you should know. Uh, believe it or not, you may be one of the many people whose sadness actually gets worse or peaks during the spring months. Today, we're going to talk about some sobering statistics and what you can do to get rid of those springtime blues. When people think of spring or springtime, they often associate it with new beginnings, new growth, renewal. Uh, they may even envision beautiful blooming flowers and trees, chirping birds, wildlife everywhere, and warmer weather. Uh, spring can be seen as a time of rejuvenation and a chance to start fresh after the dormant winter months. And for most people, it's associated with happiness. Now, not to burst our bubble of perception about springtime, but spring can also be, and, and often is for many people, a dark time of the year. Um, I've seen this play out in clinical practice, practicing psychiatry for years, and it always puzzled me. Lately, we've started to see a little research come out about why this phenomenon may even exist. Researchers have found that in the months of April, May, and June, we have the highest rates of suicide over any other months out of the year. In fact, December is the lowest suicide month in the entire calendar. And the rates of suicide in April, May, and June are actually as much as three times higher than the month of December. It's, it's pretty sobering to hear if, if, if you're being honest. It sure is to me, and I'm, I'm practicing in the field. Uh, if you don't struggle with depression, sadness, or seasonal depression, then this show's probably not for you today. But if you or a friend or a loved one struggles with depression or sadness or seasonal depression, have had, had past suicide attempts, anything like that, then I want you to listen up. And, and in fact, I think that probably applies to most of us. There's hardly anybody walking around on the planet that is not, that is not affected in some way by depression. <laughs> it's just a simple fact. I mean, and it's a global issue. We try to think of this as more of a Western world, modern society type of issue, but it's really global. Um, different cultures, different societies handle it differently. They have different perceptions about it, but it is a global phenomenon. Now, researchers believe that suicide rates are highest in the months of April, May, and June, Due to, due to a phenomenon that is called springtime peak. Okay, simply put, springtime peak is uh, means that springtime is generally associated with increased social activity and connectedness, which can exacerbate feelings of loneliness and isolation in people who are already struggling with mental health issues, 
and isolation and loneliness. And they lack this um, energy to even socialize, yet they look around them and everybody's coming out of the winter shell and they're socializing. They're, they seemingly look happy and and that's what their eyes see. So this is that springtime peak where everything around the depressed person appears as though everybody else is having fun. Everybody else is happy and I'm not. Uh, some recent research postulates that changes in sunlight may also be disrupting sleep patterns. So when the days get longer and we have more sunlight, it can actually disrupt sleep patterns. I know for a fact that in the springtime of the year, I always have more difficulty with sleep patterns. I'm still getting, you know, seven hours of sleep a night. It's just a little bit more disrupted for whatever reason. And that's always been my pattern. I'm seasonal that way. Winter, uh, summer, fall, I sleep like a baby. Springtime, it's a little off for me. Researchers have also found and, and postulate that seasonal allergies may may be associated with some of the issues related to depression and seasonal depression because um, of increased inflammation throughout the body and subsequently throughout the brain. Now, both of these can disrupt neurotransmitter balance in the body and as an unfortunate result can lead to suicide rates climbing. Now, let me talk a little bit more about inflammation and its relationship to depression. I think it's important to talk about here because we discovered it's been 15, 16 years ago, maybe a little bit longer. I lose track of time. Uh, I remember going to the U.S. Psych Con Congress in uh, Tampa, Florida uh, years ago. Uh, it's, it's over a decade and a half ago. I know that. And that was the focus of the U.S. Psych Congress was this epiphany that in research we had discovered that it's not just solely a neurotransmitter issue. In fact, neurotransmitter um, thinking as far as its relationship to depression is more of a theory than anything. We know that depression is much more complex than we ever thought it was. And we know that inflammation plays a vital role, believe it or not. Early studies from 15, 16, 17 years ago showed that simply taking in an NSAID, say a, a, a Tylenol, ibuprofen, something along those lines, actually decreased depressive symptoms. Now, it wasn't dramatic, but it did decrease symptoms. And they noticed this in these studies. So they started looking at, OK, what can we do from a biological standpoint to manipulate depression? Uh, inflammation, lower inflammation so that we lower depressive symptoms. So you see, you're seeing a lot of clinical work in those areas right now because of this. And that's why I wanted to mention this about seasonal allergies. It's a very high inflammatory time for a lot of people. And uh, it may actually be triggering a cascade of events in the body that's disrupting neurotransmitter balance that may lead to more depression. So that's just food for thought. Uh, these are really sp small, more theoretical, speculative type uh, write-ups that we're seeing in professional journals. They're, these aren't studies per se. Now, lastly, I believe, in, and this is a big one, that the end of the school year and the pressures associated with end of school year activities, such as exams, cramming for exams, being a little bit behind the eight ball. If you're a student that hasn't been making the grades that you need to and you need to really do well in this exam in order to pass or you're a perfectionist and you're a straight A student, but you're really hard on yourself and I have to have an A 
on this exam, I see both sides of that when I'm working with young adults who are college age uh, in graduate school. They're hard on themselves and they put these undue pressures on themselves that literally lead to this seasonal type depression. It's really funny. We don't see this much at the end of the semester in December because everybody's focused on the holidays and really a month long break when you're in grad school or undergraduate school. You get this month long break and everybody's looking forward to it. But a lot of times students in the spring months, they're really looking to push, 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 push uh, and, and get to the end for a very short break, especially if you're in grad school, because you roll right back into the next semester, usually July 1 when you're in grad school. But anyway, another story for another day. This is a phenomenon that occurs. And this is a big one in, in my mind because I see it clinically play out in the office over and over again. Uh, it's important to note that suicide is by far a very complex issue. And there are likely multiple factors that contribute to this seasonal pattern that we see with these higher suicide rates in April, May, and June. But I wanted to highlight some of these uh, above that, that I've just mentioned and uh, bring them to light because they're things that a lot of people don't really think about. And I wanted to bring you the latest research on this. Now, here are some common symptoms associated with seasonal type depression, uh, persistent feelings of sadness and hopeless and worthlessness. Uh, number two, loss of interest in activities that were once enjoyable. Number three, low energy and fatigue. Number four, difficulty sleeping or oversleeping. Number five, changes in appetite or weight. I've seen weight gain with uh, seasonal depression. I've seen weight loss with seasonal depression. And I know there are people listening out there right now that are thinking, I would be more than happy to have weight loss and have seasonal depression so I could lose some weight. No, you wouldn't. It's miserable. These people literally... Um, something's wrong with their metabolism. They literally, most of them eat and they can't gain weight. They just continue to lose weight. And I believe it's a metabolic process that's yet to be identified when we see these things. The same way it is when you know, I have a person say, I'm eating normally and I can't lose weight. I continue to gain weight. It's the opposite. But it, I believe it's a very similar metabolic process in both instances it's just genetically how the body is interpreting that metabolic process that we haven't quite pinned down, so to speak. Now, there's truly some people that are depressed and they just don't want to eat because they don't have an appetite. That's a whole nother issue. That's more of a, um, a uh, biological anorexia, not a self-induced anorexia. Um, number six, difficulty concentrating or making decisions. Number seven, feelings of irritability or agitation. Number eight, social withdrawal or isolation. Number nine, physical symptoms such as headaches or body aches. These are huge. Again, go back to seasonal allergies, inflammation. Think along those lines. And we start to see this inflammation throughout the body. It's kind of a crazy thing. And last but not least, number 10, in severe cases, thoughts of suicide or self-harm. You will always hear that a person had thoughts of suicide or self-harm long before they actually took action. So if a person actually 
attempts suicide or commits suicide, they were having thoughts about suicide long before. That's why it's important for us as clinicians, but I want to empower you as the general public. It's important for you as the general public. If you notice depression, even seasonal depression, or just melancholia or sadness in someone that you think that's a little odd, they don't we all go out as friends at least once a month and have dinner and so-and-so doesn't want to go out to eat with us anymore. They're more withdrawn. I can't get them to return texts. I can't get them to return phone calls. That's a red flag. And we should check on our friends. We should check on our family, our loved ones when these things happen, because it means that there's something going on in there that could be a depression. And in the more severe cases of, of the sadness, the seasonal depression, whatever it is, I bet you, and in many cases, there are thoughts of suicide and people are embarrassed. They're ashamed, ashamed of it. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. It just simply means that if I'm having thoughts about it, I don't necessarily have a plan. That's actually better than having a plan. So we need to talk to these people. We need to find out what's going on. And, and in every case, we always need to defer to professional help. Uh, in these instances. And I'll talk more about that in just a minute. So if you notice these symptoms uh, in yourself and a friend and a loved one, uh, I've got eight common things that anyone can do to help reduce their symptoms of sadness, seasonal depression, depression. So let's roll right into these. Number one, get outside. Last week, I talked about this, about going and taking a hike and how research actually shows that hiking and surfing actually improve our mood. Get outside, get in nature. Nature is a proven remedy for melancholia, sadness, seasonal affective disorders, you name it. Get outside in nature. It literally changes you at the cellular level. Uh, If it's cloudy, getting outside and exposing yourself to natural light can, can be a little bit challenging sometimes. I'll be honest with you. I'll tell people this anyway. If it's not just torrential sideways rain that we get sometimes with those high winds, put a rain jacket on, something, uh, rain slickers on your on your legs and your, and your galoshes and get out there and walk in the rain. Believe it or not, the ozone that is created from the rainfall is amazing and it has amazing health benefits. So get out there and walk in the rain. That's some of the most peaceful times. Obviously, if it's a thunderstorm or lightning storm, you don't want to do that. So use your best judgment there. Number two, the number two thing you can do, and I absolutely love this. It's one of my favorites. uh, Use grounding. Grounding is a technique that can help you feel more centered, more calm, and more present in the here and now. I use grounding almost every day. So to perform personal grounding for yourself, I want you to find a quiet place. Uh, take your shoes off and I want you to sit or stand on the grass or the ground. Uh, even if there's no grass and there's just dirt there, just sit or stand on on that with your your bare feet. OK, if you're if you're sitting, have your bare feet on the ground and have your hands on the ground, too. That's just extra grounding. Um, next, I want you to focus on your breath. I want you to take some deep breaths in and we're just going to do like a four square breathing with a four count inhale and a four count exhale. If you want to put a four second pause in between the inhale, exhale, feel free to do that. 
but four count, four count, and just think of you're drawing a, a square with your breath. That's why we call it four square breathing. Do that about uh, four, five, six, seven, eight times until you feel yourself becoming more calm, more centered. And then while you're doing the breathing, don't focus as much on the breathing at this point. Just continue breathing uh, at a healthy rate. And I want you to envision that you literally, if you're sitting on the ground, you have roots coming out of your feet and out of your hands. They're going into the ground. You are literally setting down roots into the ground, just like a tree. If you're standing there, imagining the, imagine those roots are coming out of the bottom of your feet. I know this sounds hokey and crazy, but it works. And I want you to just envision that you are becoming grounded with the earth that you're standing on. I personally recommend at least 10 minutes of this per day. Um, I will tell you what I do personally. I do about 45 to 60 minutes in the morning, weather permitting, and I just get outside. I usually sit in an Adirondack chair with bare feet on the ground, and I just kind of focus on my breathing, do a little quiet meditation that's just breath focus, and then... Um, 15, 20 minutes toward the end of whenever I'm about to go back inside, I journal my notes uh, and my thoughts. Uh, I just write my thoughts, my affirmations down for the day. And then I get up and go inside. And I will tell you, um, if I'm at the office or I'm at my home office, working for my home office, doing telehealth, um, and I get kind of keyed up and I'm feeling kind of stressed, I will actually take my shoes off and I will go outside. Even in my office, I've got a nice courtyard in the back behind my office. I'll literally put my bare feet on the ground and for however long I've got between uh, clients or, or whatever until my next meeting. And it just allows me to get recentered and refocused um, and allow that kind of negative energy, if you will, just to kind of pass right through me and go back into the earth. That's theoretically what's going on. And that's actually beyond theory. We actually have some good evidence that that's happened uh, from research uh, studies that have been done. Number three, exercise. Regular physical activity has been shown to be an effective treatment for depression. Exercise can also regulate your sleep patterns and increase your energy levels. Number four, practice good sleep hygiene. Make sure you're getting enough sleep, first of all, and try to maintain a consistent sleep schedule. So my bedtime is 9.30 p.m. every single night, and my wake-up time is between 5 and 5.30 a.m. every single morning, religiously. That's just my schedule. I even follow that schedule for the most part on the weekends, occasionally, I'll still go to bed at 9.30, but I'll allow myself to sleep until 7 or 7.30. And it's just what I've always done. It seems to work best for my body that way. Number five, eat a healthy diet. Eating a well-balanced diet with clean, green, organic foods. If you do proteins, make sure they're, they're farm-raised, grass-fed proteins and, and that they don't have all these chemicals and hormones in them that increase inflammation in our body and make our neurotransmitter balance that more difficult to maintain and achieve. So clean and green and organic. Make sure you drink plenty of water. I tell people all the time, the best thing you can do for your mood and your anxiety, if you struggle with anxiety, is drink water. It is one of the best medicines you can do. I always recommend filtered water. I don't like water from plastic bottles. I don't like buying water in plastic bottles. I use filter water system here at the house and I use stainless steel. 
There are some people that argue about that and they would rather use glass. But when you use glass, you end up with a rubber seal on the top and you're still exposing yourself to plastics and rubber and things like that. So I use a stainless steel, old fashioned stainless steel water bottle. It's a one liter bottle. And that way I can measure my water throughout the day doing that. Number six, stay social, even if you don't feel like it. Um, and being social for you, even if you don't feel like it, maybe something as simple as going to the park and sitting on the park bench and people watching. You know, if you don't want to interact with people, I understand that. I get it. But you can still be social by being in a social setting and being an observer, a conscientious observer. Focus on your breath. Focus on what people are doing, maybe what people are saying. Um Chuckle. If it's if they say something funny or you see something funny, laugh, laugh out loud. Nobody's going to care. They may look at you and think, oh, that person's really off their rocker. They're a little crazy. It doesn't matter. You're probably never going to see that person again in your life. Um, but if you can push yourself to truly be social and interact with people, call a friend and say, hey, would you like to go have coffee? Would you like to go out for a smoothie? Would you like to just sit down and talk? And um, you can do a two for one and sit out on a patio outside and talk, weather permitting. And you're getting outside exposure, nature exposure, you're getting fresh air and you're socializing. So you can combine a lot of these. Uh, number seven, practice relaxation techniques, techniques such as deep breathing, meditation, yoga uh, can help reduce stress and improve your mood. And last but not least, consider therapy. You know, taking a mental health uh, or talking to a mental health professional can help you develop coping strategies that you may not have thought about in the past. And it can help you learn new ways to manage your, your mood type symptoms that you're experiencing. Uh, just remember, it's important to seek help if you're struggling with any type of depression, even seasonal depression. Uh, these tips can be helpful uh, always. I think you should always incorporate these things, but they are in no way a substitution for professional treatment. Um, if you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts um, or on the verge of a suicide attempt, meaning you've got a thought about suicide, you have an active plan, and you're just trying to build up the courage to pull the trigger, stop yourself right there or if you're a person observing this happening in front of your eyes, intervene, okay? There's four things you can do. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. And you can speak with a trained crisis professional 24-7, 365 days a year. You can also do a crisis text line, and this is a fairly new service that's long overdue, okay? You can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. Again, text HOME to 741-741 to, again, connect with a trained crisis counselor via text. And again, that's 24-7, 365 days a year. Also overdue, and I'm so glad they did this, is online chat. The Lifeline service where I gave you the phone number uh, just now, uh, Lifeline service also offers an online chat service 24-7 for people who prefer to communicate through chat. The web URL for that is suicidepreventionlifeline.org forward slash chat. We'll put the link in the comments below. 
And the chat service is, again, staffed 24-7. It's free, it's confidential, and it's staffed with trained crisis counselors. And last but not least, this is a last resort. You can call 911. Uh, unfortunately, if you're intervening for somebody else and you feel like they're imminently suicidal, you're probably not going to get them to be able to chat with somebody. Sometimes you can, most of the time you can't. So sometimes it's, it's you, the person releasing the intervention for the person that you're worried about. Sometimes you just have to call 911. Every single municipality and in the entire United States will do a courtesy, uh, what they call wellness check at a home that can be for an elderly person who's sitting in 105 degree temperature weather outside and they have no air conditioning and you're worried about them. That can be somebody that's suicidal or or potentially suicidal or somebody that you're just worried about. You've been unable to get them to answer their phones, their phone, their text, anything. They won't even come to the door. You can call for a wellness check from any law enforcement agency in the United States and they will do that as a courtesy and you can call 911 to set that up. Uh, it's important to remember that you don't have to go through this alone. Um, there's help available and people who care about you. So don't hesitate to reach out for support. And that goes for those of us who care about other people who struggle with these things. You don't you don't have to go through it alone either. You can call a crisis hotline and they can walk you through literally what you can do for a friend. Um, uh, you can be the one that calls them as well. And I forgot to mention that. Uh, Last but not least, it's not a quick fix, but it's something that uh, and it's certainly not something we would do if somebody's suicidal. But if we've got somebody that's struggling with their mood, uh, whether it's been a short period of time or a long period of time, you know, we can literally check a person's genetics to look at their inflammation. We can literally check a person's genetics to look at their methylation. We can literally look at a person's genetics to look at their detoxification pathways. All three of these things play a huge role in this master puzzle that we call mental health, okay? So when we're dealing with any type of mental health issue, whether it be depression or anxiety or attention deficit disorder or or bipolar disorder, we need to look at these genetics that are modifiable and we need to understand the landscape that we're working with. And you can do that very easily. There's no blood involved. It's a simple cheek swab and we can get that done, get the report back, sit down, go over it. So if that's something that you're interested in, feel free to reach out to me at Dr. Brian G. Brown um, on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And I'll be glad to answer any questions that you may have. Um, That's all I got for today. Most informed, most trusted, and truly most grateful just with a heart full of gratitude that you spent this time with us today. Until next time, stay in the zone. I'm Dr. Brian Brown.